Hello, you are listening to the Click Homo Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Today is March 27th, 2022. Our pastor, Scott Gordon, continues his study on healthy habits with Go With Power to give you advice and give you some tools to help evangelize the lost. Now to Pastor Scott. As we think about evangelism, as we think about ways to maybe deal with those uh, fears that we encounter and the challenges towards our faithfulness in the habit of uh, evangelism, that was a humorous and, and definitely non-realistic way to approach this. Um, Maybe if you've seen that, you're thinking, I've seen this guy before, or I've, I've heard that voice. And this, this is a way back video that goes back several years. From around here, you might see him like this. You've seen this guy right there. And go ahead and move one more so we get his name. Dr. Derwin Gray. Uh, we used his material through Right Now Media this last Christmas season on Wednesday nights uh, during Advent and all of this. He is the pastor uh, of uh, Transformation Church, and I'm going to forget where again. I think it's in South Carolina, North Carolina. Okay, and, and I couldn't remember where. He is a former, definitely NFL football player. He played with Indy, and that may be the only team he played for for about four, maybe five years. He stepped out of that. He went back to school. God called him uh, to serve. He and his wife served that church there. He has gone and gotten his doctorate of ministry degree uh, and everything, and. Um, I don't know how he looks back at that video and goes, hmm, okay, yeah, uh, I am the evangelism linebacker uh, in all of this. It was kind of a parody that at the same time that the office linebacker came out during the Super Bowl seasons and commercials and, and, and stuff of that. But I really appreciate Derwin's heart for ministry, missions, the gospel, and, and all of that. And as we think about what freaks us out, that's part of what we've been talking about in, in, in our uh, emphasis last week about those things that maybe kind of are challenges to us. I want us to, to turn the page this morning to, to look for a, a gospel-inspired level of freaking out. And if we look at Paul's life in Acts chapter 17, he's hanging out in Athens. He is kind of in a holding pattern from one mission to the next. And while he's waiting, though... He doesn't just kind of check into the hotel and kind of sequester himself away. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 16, we read these words. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. That, that phrase there, he was deeply distressed, is a, a picture of being provoked in his spirit. We would call it being freaked out. He was absolutely stirred up by what he saw in the culture around him, the level of lostness that was there. And so he engaged in that moment going 
with power. We read further on in Acts chapter 17, he goes to the Areopagus. He kind of gets challenged by a couple of the leading groups of philosophers in Athens of that day. They agree to a meeting and he gives a fantastic, well-connected gospel presentation to those who were there in that moment. But the power of his message was not because Paul was so intellectually astute. It's not that he was so winsomely handsome or he came with such a great level of personality that he was overwhelming to others. In fact, when you read of those philosophers there, they say, who is this new guy, who, this unlearned guy who is out here spouting off? So he had no level of respect. He had a level of antagonism directed toward him. And yet empowered, he shared the gospel. And we can too go, go with the message and go with power. So let's look at that aspect today. Turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to go from Acts chapter 1 to Matthew chapter 5 to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Those are the high spots that we're going to hit as we look at going with power in this habit of evangelism that we have been called to as believers, as Christ followers. So when we think about power and our mission... There's two very direct quotations we can find from Scripture that indicate aspects of the power of our mission. First of all, the power for the mission is exclusively the Holy Spirit. Right here in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 we read, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And so that is that picture of the power for the mission. Where does the strength come from? Now, not to belabor the point, but we are not in this day and time waiting for an Acts 2 Pentecostal moment before we can go out and share the gospel. That was part of the plan. That was part of God's design and direction when we see the early church in these formative days in the book of Acts. But I am here to tell you that we as believers, the very moment that we are saved, we are equipped. We are empowered with the message that we need. That was the point of last week's message. Both the woman at the well and the man born blind, at the moment that God changed them, were empowered and enabled with all the message they needed to be able to go to somebody else. And they did. Even as incomplete, as inept as we might think it looks, or we would feel ourselves and not even being able to at points answer a question. Who is this? Where is he? I don't know. Man born blind. A beautiful picture of it is by God's power and not solely on us. I've got this. I can do it. That is the one aspect of our Christianity that we need to divorce from the American culture. It is not that as Christians we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we go get them. It is because God has pulled us up from the dead and made us alive in Christ that we are empowered to go with the gospel. 
And so we find ourselves saying, this is the power for the mission. What is the power of the mission? Well, the power of the mission is the gospel itself. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 reads, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. So to anyone who believes, to all with whom we proclaim, to whom we proclaim and share the good news of the saving work of Jesus Christ, living a perfect and sinless life, going to the cross and taking our place, dying for our sin, not his, for our sin, being buried and rising again to save us, to, to give us forgiveness of sin and abundant life here and now, living life in all of its fullness and eternal life, that he has gone to prepare a place that where he is, we will be with him always. So there's the power of our mission. Then why do we find ourselves struggling? I'm sure we have to ask ourselves that question. We, from the moment we come to Christ, have everything we need to go. When he sins, he equips, he enables. Every aspect of our mission is already, if you want to call it, paid for. It is prepared. It is absolutely set. There is nothing in our way. Jesus even said that the gates of hell cannot overcome. The message that we as a church, as the church, as believers, have been given by our Lord to carry into all the world. Well, maybe it's like this. Have you ever had to reboot your computer, your phone, or your tablet? I mean, have you ever had that, that frustrating moment where you're going along, you're working, or playing a game, whichever it is. And the thing locks up. The screen freezes. And it's like, what did you? I was going to get the record. Or I just lost everything I've been studying. Or if you're a student, my paper just. Ah! Panic moment. Or maybe you're going along and you can't find that file. I know I saved it. It's here somewhere. It's got to be. Or you tell the computer to do one thing and it does something else. Now, not that that's operator error ever. It's always on the computer, but it does happen. So what do we do? Well, yeah, you have to hit the reset button. You have to restart. You, in, in the old days of Microsoft, it was the blue screen of death. What did we do? You unplug. You know, that's, that's us with our connection to the power of the gospel. To the enablement of the Holy Spirit, there is no problem with our power source. Problem is our connection. Now, as we continue through this study of evangelism, I want to pass along to you some principles that I have found helpful and that I have read about a wonderful book called Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out. That's where I keep talking about freaking out has been uh, immeasurably helpful. And I want to pass along to you some of these principles 
related to the habit of evangelism in our life. And the first one, principle number one, is this. God created you for his glory to advance his gospel with the gifts, talents, and opportunities he has given you. You see, not only is the power not in question, but the ability and our ability in that sense to take it on is exactly how God made us to carry forth. He doesn't have to make us all Billy Graham. He doesn't have to make us all that type of evangelist that you look at and we find ourselves maybe intimidated by at times. But when we find ourselves in this moment, our personal and even our corporate reboot, strengthening our commitment to growing in healthy habits for spiritual strength all the way across the board, including evangelism, it'll reopen or maybe even further open the doors for us to be able to do what we find in Matthew chapter 5 and beginning in verse 14. It says, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. And no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Did you notice that in verse 16, the latter part of there and that one up there, it's the part in bold on the screen. In the same way, let your light. It's not let your brother or sister's light, your mom or dad's light, your cousin's light, your neighbor's light, your Sunday school teacher's light, the deacon's light, the pastor's light shine. Let your light shine. That others may see what? Your good works. See you living for the glory of God. See you living to proclaim the greatness of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And give glory to our Father in heaven. You see, that's the introduction. That is the door opener for a lot of us is how we live. And people go, what is your deal? I mean, if we are oftentimes stuck at how do we get into a gospel conversation with a lost family member, a, a lost neighbor, a, a lost fellow student, uh, a, a co-worker, uh, and on down the line, a longtime friend, part of it is just living and somebody finally goes, hey, what's the deal? Now, now we don't need to wait on that, but that is an opportunity to be able to say, in the midst of maybe the chaos of this world, and we just kind of are rocking along going, God is good all the time and all the time God is good. And they go, what is your problem? I mean, have you seen the stock markets? Have you seen inflation? Have you seen whatever? Have you seen the turmoil over in Ukraine? Have you not seen all of this? Yes, and God is good all the time. That's where we are 
And then we live for the glory of God. And, and Martin Luther noted this. A lot of times we are geared or even guilted into the aspect of how we live the Christian life. Uh, in, in other words, to say, God won't love you if you don't. God, Martin Luther said, God does not need our good works. Our reflected light of his truth. Because God is light in him, there's no darkness at all. God doesn't need our good works. God doesn't need our light to help him see. But our neighbor does. Our neighbor does. Our neighbor needs us to be wonderful reflectors of the light of Christ where they are. Maybe we need to reboot. How does that happen? Well, the reboot happens like this. Psalm 51, verse 10 through 13. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Listen to this. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. We, we, we somewhat understand, or maybe if, if we haven't, let me remind you of the context. That's David's prayer after being confronted with his extreme sin regarding Bathsheba, the killing of Uriah, being confronted by Nathan the prophet, bringing him to a point of repentance, and saying, Oh, Lord, Forgive me, renew a steadfast spirit. What, what? Then will I be able to teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. So that's where we find the reboot. The reboot is in repentance. We say, man, I have lacked the power to share the gospel. We need to just confess that maybe we find ourselves either disconnected or we need to switch it on in a way that we haven't in a while. Maybe it's connected, but it's, it's waned. Have, have, you know, when I, when I go camping, when we go camping, we typically go in cold weather because warm weather is just too easy. It's no challenge if you don't go at spring break when it's 25 degrees in the morning when you wake up or snowing or anything else. But when it comes to camping in cold weather, there's one very important job, and it's manning the fire, tending to the fire. Because once you get the fire built and it begins to burn, eventually it's going to start to wane. And the fire needs to be stoked. Now, stoked is not like the 80s, like, ooh, dude, I'm stoked. Okay? When we talk about having our power for the gospel stoked, it's not like, dude, okay? It's not that. I grew up in that 80s. I understand that, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about stoking the fire. We're talking about stoking that aspect of empowerment for the mission of evangelism. To stoke is to poke or to stir up. Or can also mean to feed abundantly. 
And so we are like campfires when it comes to evangelism. Like I said earlier, our power source is not in question. It's not like we suddenly are going to run out of wood. And it may not be that we need a full reboot because we're disconnected or we're so messed up with our programming that we need to get reset. But maybe we're plugged in. It's just that our fire's waning. Our connection point to it, our, our enthusiasm is waning. And that's on us, not on the power source. And so we come to this concept, how do we stoke the fires of evangelism in our hearts and lives? Brings me to a second principle I want to share with you today, and it is this. In order to share Jesus confidently and consistently with others, first share him confidently and consistently with yourself and with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, a, a biblical example of what I'm talking about, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul is corresponding with this group of Christians in Corinth. He's helping them out with various challenges. We're often well aware of, of the back and forth. We have two of what could well be four different letters of correspondence back and forth between Paul and the Christians in the city of Corinth and the number of challenges that they faced, both in intimidation and as well as in just wrong thinking. But the very outset, this, this first letter that we have in, in the, the discussion of their relationship together, Paul brings right down to a beautiful distillation the significance of the calling that we have in our lives. In the first four verses of the 15th chapter, as we have it in our Bibles, read like this. It says, now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And so you're thinking, hey, we're going we're gonna to focus on the last two verses. Not outside of to say this. In sharing the essence of the gospel message, that's verses 3 and 4. According to the scriptures, you notice time and time again, Paul, a New Testament writer, is saying that what happened, the essence of the gospel, is according to the scriptures. The scriptures being, again, my favorite opportunity to remind us of the importance of the Old Testament. That Paul would say to young Timothy that you have heard from the time you were a little child and are able to make you wise or able to understand your need for salvation. So we find that beautiful picture, but what I want us to focus on for just a moment is verses 1 and 2. 
Because what we find there is that reminder to stoke the fires, if you will, in our lives. First of all, we see that this message of the gospel is a message to be received. A message to be received has to be what? Both heralded and heard. It has to be proclaimed and it has to be received. And so both aspects, we have to be in a position at some point, we just don't off of the top of our heads uh, in any way on our own come to Jesus just, you know, kind of mystically or apart from the proclamation of the gospel. Now, it can be somebody picking up a Bible and reading it for themselves. The scriptures proclaim. That's a very rare case. More often than not, it's somebody who has been saved, understanding the scriptures, what God has done for them, going to share it with somebody else. That is our need. In fact, the Bibles that some people pick up, like in the hotel rooms and stuff, didn't get there by accident. There's a group of the Gideons that went out and placed them in there on purpose, pray about that, that they would be effective in helping others in the stories that they can tell. I have loved hearing of their ministry throughout the years. But we don't just go and lay Bibles out on the street. We don't go and just lay tracts out on tables only thinking that that is the sufficiency of our evangelistic ministry, our witness calling. There's nothing wrong with doing that. God can use it, but that is not how we fulfill our calling. We do so by going. How will they hear? If faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, how will they hear unless we are sent? But not only is it a message to be received, it is a message of salvation completely. It says, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved. It's a beautiful picture. You are being saved completely. It is the justification being made right with God. It is the sanctification. It is growing in righteousness, living for godliness and, and holiness that we have talked about is the purpose of these habits in our lives that we would grow and be strengthened in righteousness and godliness, holiness, and then also glorification. There is coming a day. We can sing another hymn. Well, there is coming a day. No tear will dim the eye. And I don't remember the rest of the words and I don't want to sing it and you don't want me to either, so that's good. But there's that beautiful promise of that completed aspect of our salvation that is still coming. And then listen to this. It is a message on which to keep standing. End of verse one says, on which you have taken your stand. The end of verse 2 says, unless you believed in vain. I don't believe that to be the case. I don't want that to be the case for any one of us. I am not beyond the aspect of understanding, though, that it can be. Folks, you can grow up and go to church your entire life and be as lost as a goose. I know I was. From the time I really started understanding and going and through VBS and with parents and all that and even inviting friends to go. And from the age of 9 to 14 thought I was all good, had it going on. Till God got my attention 
at an evangelistic event in my hometown at the age of 14, used the evangelist Bailey Smith to get me into a relationship with Christ instead of just knowing about him. You see, that's where we are. We have to be in that place on which we have taken a stand. That word there is a a beautiful picture, and it means to be set, to maintain, to remain, to abide. To be definitively connected, standing on solid ground. The, the applications to illustrate this are endless. It is which we have taken our stand and it is a sure foundation. What is that which helps us to remain, to abide? It's the gospel. It's not we get the gospel when we come to Christ and then we got to find something better to keep us connected. We got to find something more. We got to get another experience. We've, we've got to get, you know, some kind of something else that the gospel doesn't give us. It is the gospel that's the power of God to salvation. And that is all the way through. When Paul is closing out this first letter here, he says, let me make sure you understand the gospel. That's your calling. It is also your comfort. It is what sustains us through it all and enables us to understand the beauty of this life and all of who Jesus is. We should never tire of preaching, and, and I've, I've gone through the time through seminary and other stuff, of preaching the gospel to yourself. And some people say, oh, that's such a waste. And I'm going, dude, I think that's what the Bible says. We need to be preaching the gospel to ourselves. And I'm not the first one to say it. That recent trend of describing it that way is not the first to say it. We can go back to some older hymn writers and we can hear these words. I'm just going to read them to you, if that's okay. Sing them in your head as you hear them read, because I'm probably going to head that direction. I love to tell the story of unseen things above of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story because I know it's true. It satisfies, listen to this, it satisfies my longings. What? As nothing else can do. I love to tell the story. Why for me? Secondly, I love to tell the story. Tis pleasant to repeat what seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. I love to tell the story, for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. That's the Great Commission. Why do I love to tell the story? Because some have not yet heard. And if it satisfies my longings like nothing else can do, it will do the same for them as well. I love to tell the story. Third, I love to tell the story for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song, t'will be the old, old story that I have loved so long. That's us. My brothers and sisters who know Jesus 
need to hear it again and again. And it ought to be the desire of our hearts. Unless we leave out the chorus, I love to tell the story. Twill be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Oh, man, if we can sing that song, if we can hear that truth, if we can read God's word and go, give me something more exciting, then there's something bad wrong. Can I just be honest? There's something bad wrong. We need to start over from the beginning with those who, though they may be aware, have never really heard. If I'm being honest. We find our power stoked by reminding ourselves and each other, hey, be here on Wednesday nights when we're in the gym working on strengthening these habits of evangelism. We're talking about our challenges. And this is what may help kill attendance. I'm going to ask some people to share the story. Not me, not me. Oops, about pulled my headset off. Because I tell you what, I'm encouraged when I hear your story. How did you come to know Jesus? How did you meet? How did you come to trust Jesus as your Savior? Not just so that we can tell others, oh yeah. Because as we tell each other, we can understand, we can say that to somebody else who doesn't know Jesus yet. But I need to hear your story. I want you to hear mine. As we wrap up this day, are you thankful for Jesus' promise? Be careful. Yeah, I love Jesus' promises. Because if he promised, if he said he will, then he will, right? I will do this. We don't sit there and go, yeah, right, Jesus, show me. We've seen it in Scripture. We've seen it throughout the history of his church. Well, listen to Jesus' promise. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Follow me, he told them. And I will make you fish for people. Sounds like a promise to me. Follow me and I will make you fish for people. If Jesus has promised it, we can get on with it. Please visit us online at www.claybap.org.